Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Alright, if you would turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 9. It's Genesis chapter 9, and uh, we are finally finally concluding the story of Noah, although he's mentioned in the first verse of next week, too. <laughs> We're finally concluding the story of Noah. Uh, we have been in the story of Noah, I think I counted, this is like the sixth week in a row we've been talking about Noah. He was there at the end of chapter five as, as the last person in that, that genealogy that, from, that stretched from Adam all the way to him, and his father was saying, uh, this one, he, he named him Noah, because Noah means rest, and he said, this one might bring us rest or relief from the curse, right? He and said, then, this one will bring us rest. Yes, and then the next week, we looked at the, the condition of the world that it was in, in the beginning of chapter 6, uh, where, where uh, the sons of God had come down and intermarried with the daughters of man, and, and, and that whole uh, matter, which I don't want to repeat tonight. And, and then the next week, we've got God telling uh, Noah to, to build an ark in order to save the world through him. We've got Noah found grace in God's eyes, and, and, uh, and, and, and Noah is told, you know, I'm going to flood the world, and you're going to be the one who I'm going to keep my promises through. You're going to be the one who I, I, I make my covenant with, he said in chapter 6. That's three weeks already. And then, then chapter 7... Uh, we talked about the time that the, the water came and deluged all of the earth and how God, God basically uh, was unmaking all of his creation. And then last week in chapter 8, well, this is a lot of time we're spending on Noah. <laughs> chapter 8, we've got the, the flood waters are subsiding. Uh, the, the animals come out of the ark. At, uh, um, Noah and his family comes out of the ark, and Noah offers a sacrifice. Now, this week, what we're seeing here, I think we're going to be struck with how many similarities we see between Adam and Noah. Uh, in the New Testament, the New Testament talks often about Jesus as the second Adam, uh, about how, how Adam And so it talks about Jesus as this second Adam. But uh, here, the, I think Moses, the author of Genesis, is, is kind of showing us here another uh, new Adam. Uh, and, and in that sense, Noah points forward to the greatest Adam, the, 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 the second Adam in Paul's terminology, um, uh, that would come and save us all. What we see here in this chapter, we, we see some repetitions of the same kind of language we see in chapter 1 and 2 about Adam. And then also we see a fall. Uh, at the end of, of, of this chapter, we see uh, how Noah, or, yeah, Noah sinned just like his first parent, Adam, and our first parent, Adam, and, and uh, recognized his nakedness, just like Adam, and... Uh, and there is a, a curse, just like we see in chapter 3 of, of Genesis. So let's read our text, um, Genesis chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
The fear of you and the dread of you will be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon every everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I, as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image, and you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. <coughs> and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, for it, uh, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall, I uh, shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and me and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When, the, when I bring clouds over the earth, and when the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that I, is, is between you and me and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Mm -hmm. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh on the earth. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Jacob. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and he lay uncovered in his tent and ham the father of canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside then shem and, and shem and japheth took a garment laid it on their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father their faces were turned backward they did not see their father's nakedness when noah woke from his wine he knew what his youngest son had done to him. He said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Jacob and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Pray. Father, speak to us from your word. 
Help us to see clearly what you're what you are showing, what you've revealed to us. Help us to understand who we are better because of what your word says about human beings. Mm -hmm. Help us to understand who you are better because of what your word says about your mercy and your promises. And Father, help us to understand this world that we live in better because of what your word says about the hearts of human beings. Lord, we love you. Pray that you would speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We've heard this before. As we've been going through the book of Genesis ever since chapter 1, um, in chapter 1, after God created all of the animals, he had told them, Be fruitful and multiply. And he told the animals in, the, in chapter 8, when we were, we were last week, uh, he told them, Be fruitful and multiply. And in chapter 2, he told um, Adam and Eve, after he had created them, to go forth and be fruitful and multiply. And now he's repeating the same thing again. He's repeating uh, this the same exact language, and I think that language is supposed to help us to see that God is, is kind of starting over again with a new Adam here. Uh, he's telling them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God wants human beings. He wanted human beings then, and I think he delights in uh, the, the expansion of the human race. Um, he, he delights in childhood and, and out, childbirth. Uh, in uh, in uh, the, the the birth of new children and new children coming into the world, okay? Um, our world sometimes looks at things like that and they see children as a burden. They see children as something that might get in the way of a career. They see children as something that you can just dispose of. Our world is, is a world that is sending us message that it's okay to kill a baby before it's born. But the Bible here tells us that it's good for human beings to be born. It's good for the world to be born. We, think we can think of a place like China. A place that had a policy called the one-child-only policy, where they were concerned about uh, po population growth getting out of hand and the possibility that there would be too many people and that uh, there wouldn't be enough resources to go around. And so they had an evil policy, which they relaxed a little bit, but it's still a very restrictive. They do not allow people to have more than one child, and they have to have a permit to have more. That goes against what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that children are a good thing. Children are a good thing. And they are a blessing. And they should be welcomed by us. So God tells them again, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Then, as we remember back in chapter 1, after God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, he tells them, he says that he gives them dominion over all the creatures. Remember that? In, in chapter 1, God gives, or in chapter 2, God gives, well, I think it's, after, it's both chapters. <laughs> he gives them dominion over all of the other creatures. Human beings are God's representatives ruling over all of the creatures. It doesn't use that dominion language here again in chapter 9, but instead it, it does 
talk about how the human beings and the animals will relate to each other. And it's different than it was before the fall, and it's different than it was before the flood. Before the flood, you had uh, almost, it, it seems as though there was, a, there was a harmony there. In the garden, there was a harmony between Adam and, and the animals. And even at, at the time, whenever the animals all came to Noah to go into the ark, there seemed to, to be docile uh, and, and to be obedient. But after they come out of the ark, God says there's a new relationship that will be there between the human beings and the animals. And it says, the fear and the dread of you shall be upon every beast. There's a fear and a dread that, that, that now even our relationship with animals has been affected because of the curse of the fall. And in that, he gives over animals the same way that he had given plants in the first two chapters of the Bible. God had given all the plants, every green thing to, to Adam and Eve to eat. He only restricted them from one thing. Only do not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And here, God it, it kind of repeats that. He gives everything. He gives all of the animals, the, the clean animals at least, to the human beings to eat with a stipulation as well. Just as he, he had told Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he says here, only not with its lifeblood. The lifeblood is something that is important in the Bible because it is what is used in the sacrifices. It is the, the sacrifice. It's the thing that atones for our sin. And so God tells Noah, he's giving us animals just the same as he's given Adam and Eve the, the, uh, uh, the plants to eat before. But he says, do not eat it with the lifeblood in it. Can we be thankful for that? <laughs> we would all be vegetarians had it not been for this. <laughs> we get to eat bacon. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, the Jewish people, they had to wait for quite a while. They had to wait till Jesus comes for that. We get to eat steaks. We get to eat hamburgers. Uh, all of, of, of that good stuff that we, we, we enjoy, the, the, the fat portions that we get to eat. That may not be very healthy for us. But, but it, is, it is good, and God has given that to us. And, and maybe we hear messages in our culture that say, well, that's, that's uh, inhumane to eat animals. We, see, we hear that in our culture, don't we? We hear people saying, well, we shouldn't eat other animals. We should just be vegetarians uh, because it's, it's unethical to, to eat animals. But that, again, goes against the message of the Bible. The Bible tells us that God has given us those things, that we should enjoy and be thankful for those things. Now, if you have health concerns and you shouldn't have high-fatty foods, then sure. But we ought not to have things that, that bind other people's consciences. We shouldn't allow the government to come in and try to, to make rules about, uh, well, you can't eat those, those things that God has said is okay. God moved, and is talking about the lifeblood. He, he then moves into talking about um, this, this um, justification for um, capital punishment that we see here. When we, when we think about capital punishment, uh, the, the place where this is, is instated in the Bible is right here. Um, it tells us um, every, uh, see, verse 4. 
but you shall not, I'm sorry, verse 5, and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning, for from every beast I will require it, and from man. So if, if an animal kills a human being, God says that the only justifiable, the only suitable punishment for, the, for taking the life of a human being is to have that animal put to death. And for the same thing, if a human being, it says, for, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning. Uh, the, the word literally here, where, where I'm reading from the English Standard Version, it says, uh, from his fellow man. The literal word there is brother, from his brother. And this might make us think about chapter 4, when we think of uh, Cain and Abel. Now, a brother rose up and killed his other brother. God here is telling us, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Uh, some people think, well, there's an inconsistency here. Here you're talking about uh, pro-life issues. You're, you're talking about not killing babies. And here at the same time you're saying, well, yes, the, the Bible teaches capital punishment. Which is it? Aren't you being inconsistent? There's a big difference between protecting the life of an innocent baby that's never done anything and... Uh, and, and putting to death a criminal who's guilty, who has, has broken the law and has, has done the highest thing in taking the life of another human being. Human beings' lives are so valuable that the only suitable punishment for the taking of a human life is for that person's life to be taken. That's the, 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 um, the logic that the scripture is making here. Verse 6, it goes on the same way. It says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, gives us a reason here. For God made man in his own image. We can think now here about the image of God again. The image of God. God told us in chapter 1 that he created human beings in his own image. Male and female in his own image. And we might wonder... Well, are we still in God's image after the fall? After we after we we've blown it, after we 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 partook of the fruit that God told us not to, after death has been brought into the world and, and sickness and pain and all of those things, are we still in the image of God? This text answers this. Chapter nine of Genesis tells us, yes, still in the image of God. We are created in the image of God even after the fall, though our uh, that image has been marred. Though that image has been corrupted, we are still in the image of God. It doesn't matter uh, how, how smart someone is. It doesn't matter uh, where someone's born. It doesn't matter what color what, what someone is. You know what? I, 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 I don't want to get caught up with political organizations. And this might, might, uh, might be confusing to some people. But the truth is, black lives matter. And I'll say it. Black lives matter. The statement is absolutely true. All lives matter. The statement is yes, all lives matter. And and and, and I don't I don't want to I don't want to confuse anybody or offend anybody by that statement. But it is true. And we sometimes we we look at different groups of people and think, well, it's not affecting my group, and so we're not concerned about them. God made all people from every race. From every tongue, from every ethnicity, under under heaven, in His own image. Amen. And and uh, and I don't want to get that tied up with the political organization because there's a lot of stuff that the organization that goes by that name uh, believes in and promotes that I, I want to completely reject. 
But the truth is, they matter. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to move on from there. And, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly upon the earth and multiply in it. He, here, there's kind of bookends to this section here. Um, in, 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 chapter, in the verse 1, he tells them be fruitful and multiply. And then in verse 7, he tells them be fruitful and multiply again. And so we have this this uh, this sandwich here, this, this thing that, that gives us section markers where it breaks it out. We're now moving into another section. In this section, we're talking about the covenant that God has made with Noah. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast that, uh, of the earth that is with you. Uh, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Here, God is giving a promise. He is saying, I, I have made my covenant just like I promised in chapter 6. I will make my covenant with you, Noah, and with your family. And, and let's pay close attention where it says in verse 9, and with you and your offspring after you. That word offspring should cause little bells to go off in our ears. If we've been reading along uh, in, in the book of Genesis. In chapter 3, remember, the seed of the woman promise. Eve is one day going to have a son, a seed of the woman, who will rise up and, and crush the serpent's head. There's a promise from Genesis 3 that one day a Savior will come who will be descendant of Eve who will crush the serpent's head. We see Eve had a child, and she was looking forward uh, think, thinking, maybe this one will be the one. Her hopes were dashed, and then God provided another seed. It tells us at the end of chapter 4. And then we see seed language again when Noah is born. And here in chapter 9, God is saying, I'm making my covenant with you and your seed. The, those descendants. Uh, again, I think drawing attention to the promise God made that there will one day be a Savior who comes. This covenant was not just with Noah, but all of his offspring, and specifically that seed. That seed who would one day come, pointing us forward to Jesus, who would one day come and defeat death and hell and all of our enemies. Amen. He tells us then, he has a sign to the covenant. The sign of the covenant is the rainbow. He tells us the sign... This sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living thing that is with you for all future generations, I have set my bow in the clouds that it should be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and see the bow in the heavens, I will remember my covenant that is I realized the rainbow 
is not named after a bow tie, that kind of a bow, the kind of a bow you put on a package. No, the bow rainbow is named after the war bow. You know, you, you've got the, 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 the archery where you, where, where you have a bow and you put an arrow in and you bend it back and you've got this shape, right? And so think about this, the war bow of God, the rainbow is pointed up in the air. It's not pointed down at earth. As, as though God, God is, is warning us of his vengeance that is coming, his bow is pointed up in the air. In a way, it is pointed at himself. Even the rainbow reminds us of God's mercy. It reminds us that, that God will not destroy the earth again by a flood. And it reminds us that God was promising even then he was going to take the punishment for us. His bow was pointed up into the sky. When we look at the rainbow, we see that bow that's pulled back with the arrow ready to go flying into the sky. Into the heart of God himself. And whenever Jesus came, what did he do? But he, he was God himself who was taking our punishment for us. The punishment that we deserve. The, the wrath of God that we deserve. God took that very punishment for himself. I think that we see that even in the rainbow promise that he makes to Noah. So we have this new Adam description. We have this covenant description that God, God makes with Noah. And then the last part of the chapter, we see a, a, a repeat of the fall. We, we see earlier Noah's good, he's a righteous man, blameless in his generation. The first thing we hear about Noah should, should tip us off a little bit, though, because it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord grace. He was getting something he didn't deserve. He was a sinner just like the rest of us. And now, as, as we come to the end of this story of Noah, we see what, what Adam did, Noah does. Adam took of a fruit, and he became aware of his nakedness and shame, and he needed to be covered. And so God took, he, at first, because of his shame, he tried to cover himself. And he covered himself with, with fig leaves, and that wouldn't do. God slaughtered an animal and covered them with, covered Adam and Eve with, with the skins of animals. Pointing forward to that sacrificial system, pointing forward to the fact that, that in order for man to be made right with God, uh, blood had to be shed. Mm -hmm. Here we see... The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. It keeps on pointing that to us again and again. We've heard about these sons of Noah before, and every time they're mentioned, it seems like it, the, no, Moses is always pointing out, Ham was the father of Canaan. Ham was the father of Canaan. We keep hearing that. If you go back and, and read what we've heard, what we've seen here about Noah's sons, it always points this out. Now these three were the sons of Noah, and from these all the people of the whole world were dispersed. This again pointing to the fact all people, red, yellow, black, and white, brown, everybody, we're all one big human family. We all come from the same man, Noah. We all come from the same family here with Shem, Ham, and Jacob. We'll look even more into that next week when we get to chapter 10 because it's another genealogy. Praise the Lord, huh? 
But here in verse 20, it tells us Noah began to, uh, began to be a man of the soil. There's another similarity between him and Adam. What was Adam's job? He tilled the soil. Noah was just like Adam. He became a tiller of the soil. He, he went for more than he, um, he became a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. This ought to remind us also of some of God's creative work. What did God do for Adam and Eve? He created a garden. What did Noah do? He created a vineyard. He made, a, he planted a vineyard. And what did Adam do whenever he sinned? He partook of a fruit. And what do we have Noah doing here? Noah drank the wine and became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. Now, we'll get the whole alcohol issue here. What, what, what's a Christian's relationship to alcohol? Here's my conviction. The Bible does not condemn drinking. In fact, um, wine is often spoken of positively in Scripture. Uh, Jesus' first miracle was he turned water into wine. Uh, and um, I, I don't believe the Bible condemns drinking. However, it does condemn drunkenness. Okay? And so, as uh, even uh, Andrew Fuller, he was a, he was a Baptist theologian and, and preacher from back in the 1700s. I read his comments on this and said, uh, Noah, he, he, he didn't sin any in drinking the wine, but only whenever he drank in excess and became drunk did he, did he sin. He drank, he, he partook of a fruit, he became inebriated, he lost his consciousness, he became naked, just like Adam became naked whenever he had sinned. He realized his nakedness. And he lay uncovered in his tent. And then we have what I think the focus of this text is on, the sin of Ham. And Ham, he's the youngest son of Noah. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and he told his two brothers outside. Just picture this. You've got Noah in his tent. Maybe something like this tent we've got here, but with flaps on the sides, right? So, so uh, it's all covered up. But Ham may be walking along, and he looks inside the tent, and he sees his father passed out, drunk, naked. And he, he goes into the tent, and he laughs, and he mocks his father. And he comes out, and he finds his brothers, and he says, Did you see Dad in there? Did you see Dad? Oh, I can't believe what he's done. He's naked. Oh, you just got to come and see this. You got to come and see this. He mocks his father, breaking one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. Now some have looked at this text and tried to find more sinister things here in this text. You can look at Leviticus chapter 18, and it talks about one who uncovers the nakedness of his father, or uncovers the nakedness of his mother, and, and um, you can also, you wonder... Some have suggested that maybe some, that this was some kind of a sexual assault against Noah by his, his son. Uh, I don't believe that's what's going on. For one, it's different words that's being used. Uh, in, in the Leviticus 8 chapter, it's using the word uncover, where here you've got sight. You, 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 he saw the, naked of his, the nakedness of his father. Also, in those texts in, in uh, Leviticus, you see... Uh, each one of those, it's, it's in heterosexual relationships. 
It's not, that it's not talking about homosexual relationships. When the Bible talks about homosexuality, and it does, and it uses different languages, language than this. Uh, it, it, the Bible is not ashamed to talk about these things. And, and the Bible in Genesis 35 talks about a sexual assault. It's not afraid to talk about those things. If it was something like that, uh, there's no reason why the, the author would try to cover that up in some kind of um, uh, ambiguous language. No, I think what we have here is simply what it says on the face of the text. Ham looked in and he saw his father and he mocked his father. And here on Father's Day, a good application for us is we need to be people who obey the commandment and we honor our fathers and our mothers. Children, the only children here are mine. <laughs> Addie, Amanda, Josh, I want to remind you, honor your father and your mother. And each one of us, your, father, your parents are still living. Honor your father and mother. God takes these things seriously. And, and what is the response? When, when, when Ham does this thing, what's the remedy here? He goes out, he, he brags about it, he mocks his father to his brothers, and what do they do? They honor their father. What do they do? They go find a blanket. They don't go there and look and peek and, and try to join in with their brother in mocking their father. No. They go find a blanket, and they put it on their shoulders, and they walk backwards respectfully to get in there and cover the nakedness of their father to respect him, to honor him. And when he wakes up from his drunkenness, it says, verse 24, Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. And that ought to strike us. I thought it was Ham that did this. I thought it was Ham that did this. Why is he saying, Cursed be Canaan? A servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. There's a good reason why it says Canaan here. One of the, the, one of the sons of Ham was Canaan. And he keeps pointing out, Ham, the father of Canaan. Ham, the father of Canaan. I think the reason why it points out Canaan is, who's writing this? It's Moses. And what's Moses doing? He's leading the people out of Egypt. He's wandering around with them for 40 years in the wilderness. And what are they getting ready to do? They're getting ready to walk into the land of Canaan. Canaan, right? They're getting ready to walk into the land of Canaan. And God is telling them that they are to, uh, to go in and take the land and leave no survivors. What, what I think uh, Moses is setting up his audience to do is he's, uh, he's showing them... Uh, this this curse that was upon Canaan preparing them as they were getting ready to go into the land. And, and this is a prophecy, I think, that, 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 um, that Moses speaks for and, and the, the people of Canaan uh, are, are, are wiped out. But yet there are some survivors among the Canaanites. We think of Rahab. Rahab was from the city of, of Jericho, and she, 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 so just because of who your, your line comes from, just because of where you're descended from, doesn't mean a person has a curse on them ultimately. 
Because we have this woman who was a Canaanite who is in the genealogy of Jesus. Mm-hmm. She's redeemed. Mm-hmm. So no matter where you came from, no matter where your beginnings were, no, no matter how much shame you may feel for where you might have come from or what you've been through, there's a place for you in God's people. Amen. As uh, Moses continues this out, and, uh, well, Moses writing down what Noah said to his sons, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Shem was the line that if you follow the line of Shem, you come to Abraham and all the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. When, we, when we talk about anti-Semitic, we're talking about Shem, the, the line of Shem. So somebody who's anti-Semitic, is, is, that's where we get that word from, Shem. Um, verse 27, may God enlarge, the, uh, enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So Canaan's curse is that he would be a servant both to Japheth and to Shem. Now I want to say one more thing about this text. This text has a history here in our country. And this text has a, a, has a history of being misused in a racist way. Yep. Because uh, there were some who used this as a justification for slavery. When you look at the line of, of uh, Ham, the one who actually did the sin, among his other sons you find people like Mitzrayim, which means Egypt. You've got the African nation there. You've got people like Cush that are in this line. You've got Ethiopia. And so people have used this as a justification for racism, bigotry, and slavery in the, in the past and maybe even sometimes in the present. This is a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation, and, and, and if anything, maybe even... A, a, a slanderous way to use the Bible. Yep. I think the best way to understand that text is that he's talking specifically about what the people of God, what Israel is going through at his time, because they are about to go into Canaan. The curse was not on all of Ham's descendants. The curse was on Canaan. Mm-hmm. So what are we to get from this tonight? Oh, and and finally, I don't want to throw away the last two verses. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950, and he died. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Yeah. He turns right back to where he left off in chapter 5, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. You come to the end of Noah's life, it's just like we ended up at at the end of chapter 5. What are we to get from this? There's a few things. One, we have... God being faithful to his promises, his, his, he's being faithful, he, he promised Noah, I will make my covenant with you, and then he establishes his covenant with Noah. He's being faithful to his promise to Eve, that, that there would be a seed of the woman who would come one day, and, and it's because God saved uh, Noah and, and his, his offspring, his seed after him, that we, we come to the New Testament and we have Jesus born in a manger in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. 
We see God recreating humanity. After, after this flood, we have a, a new Adam that points us forward to the new Adam that we see in Jesus. He's, he's our new head. No longer do we have to be in Adam, but we can be in Christ. Mm -hmm. And we see that the flood didn't fix everything. The flood didn't fix everything. Here you have this creation of a new humanity right after the flood. All it is is these eight people. And what happens? <laughs> the father gets drunk and recognizes his nakedness, just like Adam. And you have it all over again. Sin entering in. The flood did not change the hearts of human beings. We are still today, apart from the grace of God, just like they were in Genesis 6, where our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts are only evil continually. And it is only by His grace, and it is only by the, the, the regeneration of, of being born again, about the change of the heart that He does within us, when we, when we hear the voice of the shepherd speaking to us and we submit to him, when we bow our knee to him and we repent of our sins and we turn to him alone, we trust in him, we believe in him. Mm -hmm. And not just some generic God out there, but the God of the Bible who sent his son Jesus to die for us. Amen. Trust in him. He is faithful to his promises. He will keep his promises. He is worthy to be trusted. And you and I and all of us and everyone here in this town and everybody that can hear my voice needs Jesus. Amen. We need to trust in him. He is our only hope. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.